from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work basically if you come from london you know if you go like do you know kevin in notting hill like chances are people will (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was in a tinier island off of vancouver and we went hiking and we got lost and we were two hours wandering through the woods and we walked down to the road and a car drove past and they pulled over and I was completely lost. Do you mind helping us back? And they said, yeah, of course, get in. By the way, do you know Kira Parks? And I said, yeah, that's my publicist in London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, that is the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> I was a Canadian in the middle of the woods on a remote island. <laughs> you know what my boyfriend would say? That that is because we are tribal fundamentally and that we will always find each other which I quite like, the idea that there's some sort of beacon inside us that draws us towards the people that that we're meant to be with. Yes, even random hitchhiker picker-uppers. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver, and welcome to Mini Questions. I've always loved Proust's Questionnaire. It was originally an 18th century parlor game meant to reveal an individual's true nature. But with so many questions, there wasn't really an opportunity to expand on anything. So I took the format of Proust's questionnaire and adapted what I think are seven of the most important questions you could ever ask someone. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place or experience has shaped you the most? 
what would be your last meal? And can you tell me something in your life that has grown out of a personal disaster? The more people we ask, the more we begin to see what makes us similar and what makes us individual. I've gathered a group of really remarkable people who I'm honoured and humbled to have had a chance to engage with. Sam Taylor-Johnson is an artist, a director, an amazing mother and friend, and she has an OBE for services to the arts. She also makes the best sourdough bread I've ever eaten in my life. I think one of the things I love most about her is that she pours 100% of herself into everything she does. She goes all in into whatever project she's focusing on, and I think you see and feel the surety of her commitment in everything she makes. She was part of a whole movement of young artists in the 90s that included Tracy Emin, Chris Ophelia, and Damien Hirst, starting out as a mixed-media artist but expanding pretty quickly into directing movies. We're both English transplants in California, and there is no one better to explore the wonder and opportunity of America with while also being nostalgic for the rain and a proper cup of tea. Someone once said, what do you put on your passport when it says occupation? And I said, I don't know, actually. I don't know. I think I put artist because artists can cover multi-disciplines and that that maybe covers everything. But then when I write down director, I feel a little bit more proud and, and like I can sit up straighter. So I sort of oscillate between the two of those. Actually, that's a really good point. The descriptors. I never put actress when it says what you do for a living. But when I put actor, I feel like I'm trying to shove myself into a cookie cutter that's shaped like a dude. And I mean, there really isn't a good word for artists who do more than one thing. Maybe it is just artists, but people think of paintbrushes when you say that. It's a good question. It's funny because I feel like we've known each other for 100 years. And you love the beach like I do. Especially right now, it's just a solace in times of madness. It's a way of just putting your feet in some cold water and staring out and just thinking, as long as this is here, I can sort of get back to the madness and somehow navigate it. I couldn't agree with you more. I don't miss an enormous amount about Los Angeles, but I do miss the Pacific Ocean with a solid ache. All right, darling, so listen, the first question, when and where were you happiest? You know, when you reflect on a question about happiness or contentment or a state of well-being, it's, it's hard to sort of reflect and think, well, I was happy then, does that mean I'm not happy now? So in, in order to answer that, I was thinking about my state of mind and sense of contentment and everything now. And it's hard to say this is one of my happier moments in a lockdown pandemic, <laughs> you know, no work, no travel, no friends, no evenings out. But there is, I have to admit, a level of happiness and contentment in the fact that I have everyone close to me at home with me, around me. And as much as we're all kind of clambering over each other, trying to sort of get air and space from each other and, and be able to, I know I'll reflect upon this with positive memory within our pod of well-being. I would say that my obvious ones are 
you know, the birth of each of my children. The day Aaron and I got married was a pretty spectacularly happy day. But I'm quite sort of positive about where we are right now, even though the outside world is scary, even though each day is met with a lot of fear. I think if I can just sort of remain lighthearted and happy, then it keeps the dynamic of the family that way. So that's a complicated way to answer that happy moment. It's funny, this question, I'm sort of annoyed with Proust having asked it first and also for myself being so attracted to it because we put such a pressure on ourselves to be happy. And I do think that this pandemic and this experience has really forced us to look at the qualitative idea of happiness and what that is. Our scope got so much smaller and I don't know, I, I like the distillation. I like, in a way, how, how small everything had to become because it makes you reconnect. It's like this gigantic reboot of the way in which we interact with the world. I mean, for me, looking at you in your life, I don't know that I've ever known you so relaxed and in the flow of what you're doing creatively and in family without having the pressure to constantly be thinking about the next job and where it's going and where it's happening beyond the Zoom meetings that we have setting stuff up. It feels like there's a fluidity. It does. And that sort of myopic distilled life that we're living right now also reflects on how much we took for granted and how spoiled we were before and how everything that for me feels valuable, important, and true to my happiness is actually outside the door. You know, it's it's everyone and the dogs and the chickens and, and everything just sort of being content. And if we can keep the fear and the anxiety and everything that all that pertains to outside of it, then I'd say this is a pretty clear, distilled, happy space. Hmm. I'm very glad. I think that's also endemic of the pandemic is that one really has cut away the fat from all the stuff that is meaningful and I find myself not even interrogating or interacting with stuff that I'm only vaguely interested in or don't want to relive or there was nothing to take on into this journey of life it's weird it's been like throwing sandbags out of a hot air balloon and gaining altitude you're so right. I mean, on the flip side, it's hard to say that this would be my happiest moment because the freedom to work, the freedom to travel, the freedom to be with friends also reflects upon happy, happy moments. But if I go too far down that as those are my happiest times, then I'm just going to get really depressed. So there's also a level of me saying I am the happiest right now. Saying it really loudly and planting a flag in that happiness. I am happy now. Exactly. I am happy now and I'm going to be here now and I'm not going to reflect on, you know, happier supposed times. I think it's good and it's interesting to stop tethering our own sense of place with circumstance and our own happiness with circumstance, but rather look at what's right in front of you and connect with that, which is your children, your husband, your health, your dogs. It's interesting when you take away the circumstances of what we believe creates our happiness and it really comes back to the choices that we make and the people that we love. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. What person, place or experience most altered your life? So, you know, along the path, I would say there's been a few people, because obviously meeting Aaron was a huge, significant change in my life that created what we have now in the family. But I feel like, let's put that aside. So I would say that other people who have come into my life have come into my life in a very profoundly spiritual way. One was a friend of my mom's, and he was very much a healing person. And I met him when I was 14. Life at home was pretty turbulent. And he sort of came in, sort of swooped in a bit like a godfather, father, grandfather figure. And his name was Max. He's he's no longer here. I met him probably in his 70s and knew him until he was 90-something, maybe. But he was so significant in my life in a very spiritual way. And he was very much one foot in this world and one foot in another. Did he qualify your wanting to be an artist? Oh, my God, that's so strange that you should say that because when I was 14, I I did this drawing of a swan. It took me a long time. It was, you know, achingly painfully done. But I sort of dismissed it. And then I met him and he said, you know, he was trying to talk to a sullen teenager. And he said, you know, what do you enjoy doing? And I think I just said, I've just drawn a swan. And he said, show it to me. And he looked at it. And he said, you're going to be an artist. You're going to be a very interesting artist when you grow up. But there were significant moments through very interesting times and dark days where he would just keep me 
held in a space of light rather than allow me to descend into darkness is probably the best way of putting it. And I, I would say the other person would be Anthony Mengele because he reached out of the blue and told me I was a filmmaker and that I should be making films. And yes, I'm an artist, but come on, let's give it a go and I'll produce your first short film. And from there, you will leap and bound into the world of filmmaking. And that's just off the back of him seeing artwork and having a sort of sixth sense and not knowing me at all. He didn't know, we didn't know each other. And so he produced my first short film, Love You More, that set me on the road to becoming a filmmaker. And that was everything. But there was so much in the relationship that I had with him that was so significantly life-altering when my short film gained a certain amount of success. He just said, don't lay back on your laurels, get up and get on with the next one. And that has been a sort of mini mantra in the back of my mind every time I do anything, really. Don't lay it back on your laurels, just get on with the next one. You know, just keep going, keep pushing forward. Don't sort of revel in the glory and the success too much because it diminishes. And then we went on to shoot Nowhere Boy and the next one, whose name we shall not mention. Yeah, we shall, Fifty Shades of Grey, because, oh, my God, I lived through that. <laughs> and Fifty Shades, Fifty Shades of Nightmares. Fifty Shades of Misery. Yeah, it was. That was two years of discomfort. And I would daily suffer through the machinations, if that's the right word, of madness, and then and sort of think, why why did I decide to become a filmmaker? This is just pure hell. <laughs> but within that, there is, I don't know, I can't say anything positive about that these days. It's interesting. But I do think you could probably stand to revel slightly more in the extraordinary achievements and the hardship that you suffered through sort of physically and emotionally. And I know lots of people go through things like that, but you, you don't give yourself enough credit, I don't think for the amazing achievements. I mean, however turbulent Fifty Shades was, you navigated it. It may not have been the film that you wanted to make, but there are incredibly beautiful moments in that. And you were quite right not to make the second one. Yeah, and I did learn. I learned a huge amount, not necessarily things I wanted to learn. So sometimes those lessons are hard. And I think that, you know, they're, they're valuable, but they're really difficult. And it was funny, after the movie came out, I was walking across a car park and... Some guy shouted from the other side of the parking lot. It's like, hey, hey, you, congratulations. Congratulations on that film. You've just, and I was like, you don't know how hard that was. You have no idea what I went through making that film. And Heron was like, just say thanks. Just say thank you. <laughs> you might just sit there and watch it, blah, 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 blah. But that was two years of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You know, that knocked the wind out of me and took me a good year or so to recover and, and put my faith back in the filmmaking process. That was a tough one. But anyway, that that's taken away from talking about the positive of someone's influence in my life. And I think, you know, going back to Anthony, that was that was a life-changing interaction with somebody very extraordinary, extremely special. And I I only regret that he's not here to continue a, a friendship and a relationship that was so strong he was indelible on anyone who knew him he was he left an indelible mark for sure throughout the process of a difficult filmmaking experience i would sort of you know quietly 
sort of say in my head to Anthony, what do I do in this situation? You know, where are you to help me, guide me, give me a sign, you know, pleading, send something through that tells me how to manage this. How do I wrangle this? And, and I'd sort of sit quietly and you'd think, oh, I've got to do it with myself. <laughs> There's no help from beyond. And I would say this often, and I got through to the end of making the movie. And then there were some reshoots, which were really painful a year later and they were really challenging and then when I finished the reshoot I, I thought I've done it I've finished I've actually I've gotten through this incredibly intensely difficult challenging filmmaking process and I was in Vancouver and Aaron said to me come on let's you and me just go for a really quiet dinner I booked this little tiny restaurant with like six tables in it this tiny little Italian restaurant in one of the little sort of side streets and he said just you and me we'll go and sit and celebrate this huge achievement you've finished now when Anthony was around he would he would have these big hands and he would lay them on your shoulder and squeeze them like and he'd always like ha 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 but, you know, it was a comforting sort of, you know, hey, you. And, you know, all those around him would talk about these big hands and on your shoulder, reassuring, squeezing. And, and you know, and I, and I kind of missed that and I'd think about it. Anyway, Aaron and I went for this dinner and I was just, you know, like so relieved. And I sat down and I kind of put my head in my hands just to process the fact I'd finished. And this big hand came on my shoulder and squeezed it, my hairs on my neck, and even now telling it, went up on end. And I thought, oh my God, that's Anthony's squeeze. Oh my God, mm. what's happening? And I felt it and it felt harder. And I turned around and this voice went, hello. And I looked up and it was Max Mingala. No. And I looked at him and I burst into tears. And I don't know him that well. I didn't know him, I do know. I burst into tears and I literally everything of those two years of all that time of filmmaking hardship, everything just like poured down my face, like tears and snot and I couldn't speak. And Aaron was looking at me like, what the fuck's happening? And Max is looking at me like, what the fuck's happening? And I couldn't speak. And I was just like, finally, there's the sign. <laughs> and it was that feeling where I was just like that was the squeeze of you've done it well done you didn't need me and uh, Aaron was looking at Max just like I don't know what's going to I'm really sorry I, I think it's something to do with your dad and I'm really sorry this was really awkward and difficult <laughs> and I couldn't pull myself together and it was that weird thing where I don't know read into it what you will or take from it what you will or nothing at all but it was extremely overwhelmingly powerful and god bless max oh and god bless max he must have been quite shocked at the snot and the, the sobbing lady i don't think it's the first time because i think his father had that effect on people that you know something like that familiarity and sense of him just brought everything flooding back yeah he was like a big hug as a person that's how i remember him I love that you felt that when it was all said and done, and that's actually perfect. Not to come in the moment when you go, help, but to let you figure it out and at the end to squeeze you and say, well done. That's what it felt like, exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Which is why I kind of fell to pieces in such a 
kind of completely embarrassing way. <laughs> I mean, it's very awkward for other people falling to pieces in public, but I've always found it remarkably energizing. <laughs> <laughs> it's very unlike me. I'm quite, I'm so stoic. <laughs> you are really stoic. You're really good when I've, I feel like I've fallen apart in your kitchen on many occasions and you're very good at carrying on kneading the sourdough and giving just uh, the right amount of solace without wanting to add too much gasoline to the fire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Well, wait, speaking of sourdough, that is, this is the most brilliant segue. What would be your last meal? Because you're a brilliant cook and so is Aaron and you make the most delicious food whenever you have parties. I don't know how you do it for so many people, but there are just platters of the most delicious food that just keep coming out of the kitchen. I think I would have to go for something which has mashed potato. I would have to have an enormous amount of mashed potato and gravy and peas and working backwards. And it would be fish fingers, mashed potato and peas, which was my favourite kind of childhood food. With ketchup? hate ketchup oh jesus hate ketchup i can't how can you eat fish fingers and peas and mash without ketchup it just the glue that literally holds it on your fork (laughs) you know the awful thing it's 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 mayonnaise Ew! Oh my god! I'm rethinking our whole friendship. <laughs> my kids, my kids love ketchup, and I can't. I've got this sort of almost phobia against ketchup. I can't put it on the table. I can't open the lid with the crusty bits of ketchup around it. Oh my it. god! I just cannot. So I won't buy ketchup. And they're always like, "Mom, need some ketchup." So Dad has to buy ketchup. Dad's the ketchup buyer. So you put mayonnaise on your fish fingers and peas and mash. Yeah, fish fingers, peas and mash. Wow. But it would have to be something, you know, big and comforting like that. Do you imagine yourself in a cell? Because when I ask that question, I often see myself like in a cell awaiting execution. No, I try not to put my head in that space because that is so frightening. But then, no, I like to sort of think little old lady being spoon-fed at 103. Do you? Or you'd have a job (laughs) getting those peas down. They get stuck in your dentures. (laughs) In a blender. Actually, you're right. The mash would go down a tree. Do you know my dear friend, Lindsay Adaria, who's an incredible war photographer, her grandmother just died 107. What? And she was 107 and cooking Sunday roasts and big dinners right up until the end. Wow. And her big thing about longevity was live without grievances or feelings of hate and that is the answer to a long life holy moly i know it's quite a good one yeah it's really true because was it that said i think it was carrie fisher no grudges she'd say no grudges no grudges. yeah feeling grudges and resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die yeah that's so true it's corrosive From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. So, in your life, can you tell me about something that has grown out of a personal disaster i would say having having experienced cancer age 29 age 33 colon cancer breast cancer mastectomy chemotherapy those were life altering obviously experiences that were catastrophic that made my entire being shift away from the person I was pre that, I guess. Looking into the void and the darkness and not knowing, you know, there was no choice. It wasn't about leaping into the void. It was more falling in and how do I find my way out? And I'd say that that catastrophic is probably the right word rather than disaster was utterly life-changing. And one doctor said to me, you'll come out of this grateful for the experience. I wanted to fucking punch that man so hard in the face. That feeling of you have no idea what it feels to be a parent to a baby and to be told I'm going to be grateful for losing a breast and having half my insides cut out. (laughs) But, But having said that, There are certainly things that I radically shifted away from that were toxic in my life. I would say that my entire outlook and sense of what life was to me shifted and altered and changed in a a more positive realm. I would say that my feet being more firmly planted, more grateful, more, you know, towards the light than the dark, all of those things that create a stronger life with the benefit of having come through it you know and and people say well you were so brave 
you must have been so brave, denies people that haven't come through it that they were also warriors and brave people too. So I always find that quite difficult that people say that that's something of courage. I think that people facing, you know, mortality and life-threatening illness, it's not necessarily about being brave. It's about navigating extreme fear. And extreme fear is so overwhelming and so powerful. And how can you get through each day and take that fear and, you know, lock it away so it doesn't inhibit your your power to get through the next five minutes or the next hour or the next day. And so I think, you know, coming through that time has probably been, you know, of course, the most life-altering time. And it is pause for reflection for me every single day. And, and when people say, what is your greatest fear? It's not spiders. It actually is rats, but no, we'll put that aside. It is going to a doctor or, or going through a hospital door. I physically shake. And whenever I go for, you know, even I'll go to the dentist and I'll be lying there like, what if? And that is the, that for me is, you know, one of the things I have to conquer daily. I don't think you lose that fear. You have to manage it. And I think the managing of that fear is something that then also gives you an enormous amount of, you know, ability to be in the moment and be able to reflect on on what you have right now. Let me just ask you one last thing about what you just said. The doctor who you wanted to punch, do you think on some level he was right, ultimately, that you came out of that being grateful for everything that it gave you? I do. I mean, it's the fact that you had cancer. So twice, there's always just, it's like lightning striking twice and that you came through it twice. And I'm always like clinging to the words, touch wood, never again. <laughs> there are so many other things that define you. I think there was a time in my life that I allowed it to define me. I was the person and it was what I would talk about the most. And now it's significantly sort of diminished into the background of the list of things that I define myself by. That one is is sort of lower on the list, whereas it was sort of, you know, the first on the list and conversational. and, and, And actually one really good friend who I let get away with it, she said, oh, fucking hell, would you shut up talking about cancer? (laughs) <laughs> and he was just like oh fuck's sake honestly that's enough it's enough now <laughs> you shut up talking about your cancer yeah it was and I remember just being you heartless bastard <laughs> and then but the next day I thought about it so much and I was like he's so right you know I was so in it for so long that was my only thing I could talk about and that day forward I've stopped fucking talking about it in the sense that, you know, it literally determined my everyday discussion. I mean, just to take it one step further, reflecting on what that doctor said, what my happiest moments are, I would never have been in the relationship I am in now had I not been through that, because going through something like that makes you fearless in life. So therefore, love presents itself. Don't question it go for it, go through it. Don't just go, what if this doesn't work? Oh my God, he's no, this is not right. This, this age difference and, and what if, and, and, and fuck it, live life, be in love, be happy. That's exactly it. Live life, be in love, be happy. Speaking of shutting up, talking about it. Thanks for being on my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 
shut up talking about <laughs> shut up talking about your cancer. <laughs> <laughs> love you, Minnie. That was so good to do. I love talking to you. I thank you. I cannot thank you enough, darling one. I love hearing about your life. In 2008, Sam made a short film called Love You More, which is actually available on Amazon Prime. If you love record shops and the buzzcocks and remember the mad persuasion of teenage love, then this film is for you. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoy. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Mini Driver. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me and Langesh Hatikador. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR, Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.